John chapter 15. We're going to be in verse 1 this morning. If you don't have your Bibles with you, it will be on the screen. I like having a physical Bible with me. I feel like I look at screens too often. I like having a page in front of me. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may actually bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. In the 1970s, there was an American psychologist named Herbert Frudenberger. Makes me want to have a hamburger. Stupid, I know. Working on that one all week. It's a good job. <laughs> um, he noticed something happening with his patients as he was meeting with them. Because of severe stress and honestly, really unrealistically high expectations they were putting on themselves, men and women were coming into his office and they were coming to the end of themselves in ways he had never really witnessed before. Yes, his patients were exhausted and yes, there was some unhealth there mentally and but that didn't quite explain what he was picking up on. There was something far deeper going on. Eventually, Frudenberger put a name to this phenomenon he was witnessing, and he called it burnout. He called it burnout. Frudenberger noticed this burning out occurred mostly in people who had very high-stress jobs, like lawyers and, and doctors. But as the years and the decades would go on, this reality of burnout began popping up all over the place. To the point now, we're here in 2022, exhaustion to the point of burnout can happen in a doctor. It can happen in a pastor. It can happen in a stay-at-home mom. Or a stay-at-home dad. Or a teacher. Or a student. We are living in a very exhausted and tired world. How often when someone asks you how we're doing, we answer good, but tired. Or I'm making it. Or I'm wiped. Or I'm getting by. When I was in my early 20s, a friend of mine, they had two young kids. They came up to me. I think we were at the church somewhere. And they said, how are you doing? I said, oh man, I'm tired. First mistake. <laughs> I was a single man in my 20s with no kids and very little responsibilities. Reality was, I was far from tired. <laughs> This friend absolutely, though, called me out in this moment, and they said, John, every time I ask you how you're doing, you always answer, tired. Do you not sleep? What are you doing, or what is making you so tired? I learned a valuable lesson that day. If you're a single person in your 20s, never tell your friend with two young kids who haven't slept in years that you're tired. But my friend was onto something with their question to me. What is making you so tired? Why is the answer of tired or exhausted or at the end of myself or burned out such a normal response for us? Probably because we are. We're tired. We're, we're exhausted. 
It's been a long few years, yes? But why has this become so normal? Why has it become so normal? Well, in the beginning, in the beginning pages of the Bible, we, we come to the book of Genesis. It's this poetic account of, of the beginnings of the world, the universe, the beginnings of everything, human beings. And God is, is creating this, this good and this perfect world, and he is spinning it all into motion. When I read these opening moments in Genesis, and we don't have time to get into all the details, it's like Michelle said earlier this morning, it's like taking a deep breath. It sounds peaceful. It sounds really restful. We read that Adam and Eve lived in the garden. The garden alone sounds great. Have you ever been in a really good garden? It's like, hmm. Aaron knows what I'm talking about. But they're in this garden with every living creature God made. It's like, it's like hanging out in a garden with a bunch of little bunnies. That sounds pretty great. Oh, come on, everybody. Okay. We're going to have church today. But even more important than that, Adam and Eve were in the garden with the presence of God. God's presence was with his creation. At one point in the book of Genesis, it seems to describe Adam and Eve would, would walk with God in the cool of the day. Who likes the cool of the day? This morning was the cool of the day, but very cold of the day. But this is how everything started. This, this is how life began. God and his creation walking in the cool of the day. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty far away from my lived reality right now. If that's true, if that's how the world began, if that's how life began, if that's what we believe, how did we get from the peace of the garden to a world full of burnout and exhaustion? What happened? What changed? What changed? Our text here in John 15, I believe, is a, is a strong invitation from Jesus to see what is truly going on here. Here in John 15, Jesus, he's with his, his followers, he's with his disciples. Peter would have been, he would have been there, he would have been close to Jesus. Most likely, actually, in this moment, Peter probably would have been sitting right beside Jesus. He would have been very close to Jesus. And in this series, this series in, uh, titled Resilience, we're spending our entire summer really looking at the life of Peter within this entire theme of resilience. Now John 15, what's happening here in this moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples, it was before Jesus was arrested. It was before Jesus was taken to the temple courts. We talked about that last week. It was before Jesus was beaten and broken. But it was also before Peter denied Jesus three times. There's a common thread throughout the, these, these few verses, and I want to focus on that because there's a lot we could do and, and unpack here in these, honestly, only five verses. But I want to focus on this one word because Jesus uses it throughout these five verses, and it's this word, abide. Abide. Now, the book of John, just like the rest of the New Testament, was written in Greek. So when you really want to understand the true meaning of a word here, you always need to go back to its original language. So the Greek word here, I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is the Greek word um, for the word abide. And it literally translates to remain or to stay. 
that's good, but it doesn't give the full weight of the word. So even more than that, it's also used when you're referring to a dwelling place. It's used when you're referring to a home. It's intimate. It's a place you go to. But not just go to, it's a place you remain. Abiding doesn't mean a quick visit. Abiding is not a quick visit. Abiding means to make your true home there. And here in John 15, Jesus takes this this extremely weighty word and he uses it with this metaphor. A vine and its branches. In in verse 5, let's look at it again. Jesus gets straight to the point and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is important here. This is important. Jesus is establishing a very important relationship right here. He is the vine, we are the branches. Hold on to that, because that's going to be key. Jesus continues in verse 5, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Now all the wild scientists in the room, how does a, how does a branch bear fruit? None of us are scientists. A branch only bears fruit and has life if it is connected to the vine. The vine is where the branch finds its life. Without the vine, the branch simply dies. It's it's not connected to anything. It it withers away. It can't produce anything. It, It can try all that it wants, but eventually it'll crash to the ground because there's literally no life in the branch. Without the vine, there's no life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes, the branch receives life from the vine, but even more than that, it also bears fruit. It's not just about receiving life. The, the life of the branch, the life, sorry, from the vine, produces something in the branch. There's, there's a visible expression on the branch because of the life that is coming from the vine. Now, Jesus is using what seems like maybe a really simple metaphor in order to unpack something that is incredibly important. An incredible and important truth that we often miss, even here and now. And the truth is this. When you abide in me, Jesus speaking, when you abide in me, you experience life as it should be. Now the reality is we all abide somewhere. Right? We all do. We make our home or our dwelling place somewhere, metaphorically and physically. Our lives, our choices, our motivations, the reasons we do things, our, our why behind who we are, it comes from a place of abiding. In the same way as we've been talking about roots in this series, right? We all abide somewhere, or we all place our roots into something. But it's not just that we abide somewhere. Wherever we abide produces fruit in us. Wherever we abide produces fruit in us. Problem is, not all fruit is good. Except raspberries. Raspberries are always good. (laughs) Thanks, Drake. Not all fruit is good. Let's look at it maybe a different way here. Habits. Habits are behaviors, right, or activities we take part in almost involuntarily. We don't even have to think about it. Habits are, are, are maybe another way to say it, is our default. 
for example, in the morning, every single morning, no matter what day of the week is, I wake up, I let the dogs out, I feed the dogs, I get my coffee, and I sit down. I almost don't even have to think about it. I probably do it because I'm half asleep. <laughs> or, let's flip it to the end of the day. Kids go to bed, the house is quiet, John sits on the couch, and he pours an immense amount of Reese peanut butter cups on his lap, and John eats said Reese peanut butter cups until he cannot move. But where do habits come from? If there's something we just do naturally, where do they come from? Habits are kind of like fruit. Where we are rooted or where we abide produces the habits in our life or the fruit in our life. And whether we like it or not, habits shape who we are. Habits shape who we are. This is a really long quote, but it captures the truth about our habits and our attention so well. So I want to read it over us. John Mark Homer said this. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. What you give your attention to is the person you become. Put another way, the mind is the portal to the soul, and what you fill your mind with will shape the trajectory of your character. That bodes well for those apprentices of Jesus who give the bulk of their attention to him and to all that is good, beautiful, and true in his world. But not for those who give their attention to the 24-7 news cycle of outrage and anxiety and emotion-charged drama or the non-stop feed of celebrity gossip, titillation and cultural drivel. Fancy words. We become what we give our attention to for better or for worse. I'll say that last line again. We become what we give our attention to for better or for worse. If I sit on the couch every single night and just eat my face off and treats, I am going to become a very unhealthy person over time. Right? But if instead I, I eat healthy, I exercise, I ride my bike, and I run, I drink lots of water, I rest, what will happen? I will actually become an entirely different kind of person. But all of that is dependent on where I abide. It is dictated by what I give my attention to. Right? Where I put my attention. What I, what I value. Where I make my dwelling place. Where I make my home. When I abide in looking at things on, the, on my phone or my computer that I shouldn't be, that will begin to shape who I become. If I abide in a place of anger and bitterness... Right? That will begin to shape the kind of person I become. Right? If I abide in a place where I believe the lie that I'm not good enough, or that I'm not worthy of love, or there's something wrong with me, that will begin to shape the person I become. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern? So let me ask our question again this morning. How did we get from the place of peace in the garden to a world full of burnout and exhaustion? Well, ultimately, we decided we'd rather abide in what we want rather than abiding in the presence of God. And we see this at the very beginning, or sorry, in the third chapter of Genesis. Just as a little bit of a recap, God set the world into motion and set human beings in the garden and said, I have set a good world and a good life and a good existence before you. Trust me, it's good. But listen, don't eat from that tree over there. Trust that I'm good. And if I said don't go over there, you don't need to. 
But that's not where it ended, right? Genesis 3, verse 4 says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die if you eat from the fruit. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, just like Reese peanut butter cups, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. Instead of abiding in the goodness of God, we decided to abide in our own version of good. When Adam and Eve abide outside the presence of God, what we see is the world begins to break. As soon as that moment happened, peace is broken. Rest is broken. Intimacy with the presence of God is broken. And you know what's crazy? The very first thing that happens after this moment of eating the fruit is the first moment in recorded human history where human beings try to fix something on their own. Out of fear, out of shame, out of guilt, out of stress, Adam and Eve grab a bunch of fig leaves and try to cover themselves. It's the first time we try to fix something on our own instead of depending on the presence of God. All of a sudden, exhaustion, burnout, stress, and fear enters the story for the first time. In this moment, we decide we would rather abide in what we want rather than in the presence of God. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Because as we've been saying this morning, Jesus is always good news. Do you believe that today? Andrew does. Jesus invites his disciples back into this abiding relationship. But first we need to acknowledge the truth that they are abiding in places they never meant to and these places do not lead to life. But first they need to acknowledge the truth that they abide in their own sense of goodness to find joy and peace and rest, but they never can quite seem to find it for themselves. First they need to acknowledge the truth that they're tired. Right? To acknowledge the truth that they are exhausted. To acknowledge the truth, just like Jesus said, that apart from me, they can do nothing. This is an extremely freeing invitation today, friends. Do you see it? Jesus is inviting his followers into the life that they were actually created for. To abide, to make their dwelling place in the presence of God. And the wild thing is, this invitation from Jesus has never stopped. Really, this is the invitation. Because it, it, it is in this abiding we find rest for our souls. It is in this abiding we find ourselves walking near our shepherd. It is in this abiding we receive resilience. Maybe we are so exhausted and worn out because we don't like to admit we're abiding in the wrong places. We get so wrapped up in our schedules and our busyness, we forget we were created to actually begin life abiding in the presence of God. Last Christmas, we were still maneuvering through the craziness of restrictions, if you can pleasantly remember that. 
The cases were rising, I think, around that time, and you could just almost sense the fact that, oh, man, we're just going to get nailed with restrictions again. And all that week, I, I, I just, you know when you feel like just there's going to be a ball drop and you're just, you're just waiting for it? You just, you just know something's weighing over you heavy and you're just almost waiting for it to happen. I began to abide in that stress. Every moment when I wake up, when I would go to bed, when I would try to get my work done that week to be ready for Christmas, I could not get out of this place of stress and worry. I made my dwelling place in that place, and it was robbing all of my peace. I was a wreck that week. That was not a good week for me. I was so irritated, and I was so frustrated, I could not find a moment of peace. I was sick of it. And I remember, I think it was a Wednesday of that week. Michelle was in her office. I don't know if Andrew was around or not. Um, Adam was getting ready for, for some other things. But I, I grabbed Michelle. And I think I texted Adam or Andrew. And I was like, we are going to pray right now. I don't care where you are. Let's go in the office. Because I can't find peace anywhere. And I am not okay with this. Remember that. We didn't pray that restrictions would magically work for our favor. We didn't pray against this thing or pray against that thing. All we prayed for was peace. We stopped. I stopped and said, God, you need to fill what we're doing. Because right now, all I feel like I'm doing is striving and toiling. We prayed for peace. We prayed in order to re-abide in the presence of God instead of abide in a place of stress and worry. To practically remove myself from abiding in a place of stress about something, honestly, guys, I have absolutely zero control over anyway. No one's going to ask John Lamus on Graham and Ann whether or not they should bring restrictions back. <laughs> so, John, we have a question for you. Out of the wisdom of your political views and world science, no. But I lived as if this was going to dictate everything about the next few days. That's not life. That's torture. And it was crazy how quickly in that moment, on a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday late morning, the week changed. Come what may. I can't control it anyway, but you know what, God? You're with me. How did we get from a place of stress and, or a place of peace and rest in the garden to a, to a place of burnout and exhaustion? We stopped abiding in the vine. We try so hard to fix situations, don't we? We like, I like fixing things. But we so often forget that we are invited above anything else to abide in the, to abide in the vine. To abide in the presence of God. We worry and we stress and we manipulate situations in order to get our way. And too often we forget that we are invited to live a completely different way. Where we are abiding in the presence of God. How does Psalm 23 start? What is the first verse in that psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. What? I lack nothing. I feel like I lack a lot sometimes. 
the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The only way, the only way, the only way, the only way we can truly say that we lack nothing is if we abide in the presence of God. It is the only way. On Monday of this week, we were close to empty in our van. It was one of those weeks where all the bills come out in one day. It's great. It's my favorite day of the month. And on that exact day, I was looking down, and all of a sudden, bing! I was like, gas light comes on. Awesome. It's going to be a great day. Okay, so God, if I, if, I, if, I, if I use my MasterCard here, what I can do is I can take money from here. It's going to be hard, but I can take it from here. And if I move it over here, I can place it there. And eventually I'll get around to paying this off next week. How many times do we have that conversation? And I stopped. And I just got drawn back into this entire summer series that we are, we are unapologetically staying in because it is so important. And I just said to myself, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. God, you know my finances. You know our finances. And you know what? You're not stressed. God, you're not worried. So God, my beginning place right now is going to be, you are my shepherd. I lack nothing. I don't need to manipulate anything. You invite me to be a good steward with my money. So I surrender to you. I don't have to manipulate this, and I don't have to try to fix it by myself by trying to manipulate a situation. God, I give it to you. And before that day ended, I had like triple what I needed to put gas in my tank. Because somebody said, hey, I don't know why, but for some reason here, I'm supposed to send you this. I could have filled my tank up three times. Well, I don't know about right now, but. But you know what I mean? Dallas Willard, he's a theologian, or was a theologian and a, and a pastor of sorts. He said this, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. David knew this secret and he wrote in the Psalms, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory, and my glory rejoices. My flesh, get this, also will dwell securely. Abiding. He later says, abiding in God's love provides the unshakable source of joy, which is in turn the source of peace. Come on. Frudenberg didn't discover exhaustion or burnout. All he did was put a name to what's been happening since we stopped abiding in the presence of God. And the wild thing is, this goes all the way back to the garden when, when we told God that honestly we don't need you. We're fine without your presence. But the beautiful thing we read here in John 15 and the, the powerful theme that keeps popping up throughout this entire series so far of even just five weeks is that invitation back into the abiding presence of God is not lost. He made a way to abide in his presence again. I'm going to invite Michelle to come up. Jesus says in John 10, I came that they would have life and have it abundantly. So here's the question this morning. Are you tired? 
Are you stressed? Are you at the end of yourself? Are you tired of trying to manipulate things around you? I don't know about you, but I find that very exhausting. Are you tired of trying to fix things that honestly, sorry to tell you, you may not be ever be able to fix them? Are you tired? Are you feeling like you're coming up against the wall? You hear the good news of Jesus and you're like, yeah, but I don't know, man. That's pretty far away from my life. I don't... You talk about peace, you talk about rest, you talk about abiding, you talk about lacking nothing. John, that's a fairy tale. Are you tired? Because this is what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying here? He's inviting you to make your dwelling place in him. As Dallas Willard said, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. What does that mean? God, you have my attention this morning. Before the stress, before the worry, before getting on the boat and getting every kid all dressed and packed up to get on the boat for 7.15 or 7.30, whatever, God, it's you. Before the bills that I know that are coming out later today and I've got no money in the bank account, God, it's you. Before I start trying to figure out how I'm going to pray for my family who doesn't know you and I get all worked up and afraid because I don't know how to do it, God, it's you. When I wake up on our lunch break, when our kids are screaming in our face, when you're fishing and the boat is empty and you don't know what you're going to do, when we're tired and we can't seem to find rest, every moment we are invited to abide in the presence of God. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we abide in the presence of God? That sounds good, but how do you set your mind on God? I want to give us a little bit of a roadmap for this week. I want you to test it with me. See what happens. See what happens in just seven days. Take out your Bible or pull out your phone when you wake up in the morning and just grab Psalm 23. Grab Psalm 23 and just read it over yourself. Slowly. Soak it in. You can't make your dwelling place in something unless you take time to set it up. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me. I love that it's the word makes. Sometimes it's... John, lie down by still waters. You're fine. Right? He leads me down green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He restores my soul. And so on. 
every morning when you wake up and every night before you go to bed. I'm going to do it. I'm already doing it because I need to. I'm a good worrier. I have a great imagination. And so that means I need to really set my mind on God. It doesn't mean every single problem will be fixed instantly. There are times when, you know what, honestly, God, we don't have enough money to put in our bank account. Well, John, that's because you were stupid with your money this week. That's why. Yeah, you're right. Okay. You can make it to Thursday. Okay, yeah, you're right. Right? It doesn't mean that every single time there's this magical fix and then there's no more responsibility on me. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean that every stress will go away. It doesn't mean that we live in, on rainbows and shun, sunshine with unicorns and sparkles all the time. Adeline would love that. But what it does mean is that we begin with the presence of God instead of the presence of ourselves. It means I don't start in lack. I actually start with the one who can always take care of me. When you feel anger rise inside of you, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When the temptation is banging at your door, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When the desire to, to be drunk again and numb yourself, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Because when we do that, we start to remember who we actually are. A child of God. Rooted in his presence. Abiding in the presence and the goodness and the love of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. We have got to let him rip us out of the places where we just simply do not find life. That's the season I've been in, and it's hard, and it's not fun, and sometimes I'm like, yeah, but I really like that. Yeah, but that's actually stealing your peace and your joy, John. Abiding in his presence means we don't have to abide other places. We begin with dependency on God. We begin with setting our attention on God. We begin by surrender and trust in God. What is trust? It's putting my confidence in this is better. Right? To set our attention on God means to say, God, I trust that when I put my attention on you, it is better than these other things. Trust isn't just about believing. It's not just about knowledge. It's not just about theoretically I know this to be true. Trust says I am leaving something behind and I am putting my confidence in you. Right? I trust that my van is going to start. Why? Because I usually trust my mechanics. <laughs> right? It's not theory. I, I press that button knowing full well this is going to work. Trust says I am willing to leave this behind and say yes to you, come what may. Because God is better. Because he is wiser than me. Because he is more faithful than I am. Because when God set the world into motion, his design was us and him together forever. Peace and rest. Adam and Eve walking in the presence of God in the cool of the day. Peace, rest, goodness. That is not a fairy tale. 